Yep. Give me a nod yeah, when you're ready. Shooter's ready. Stand by. This is Matt Gunlock from the 3GIQ Podcast. I'm joined here today with Frank Gow and Jared Homeyer. Everybody already kind of knows who Frank is, and so we're not going to really give him an introduction because they've heard him twice already. But Jared, uh, can you tell us about who you are, what you've done, where you've been, and where you plan on going? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on. I uh, really appreciate the, the chance to talk about stuff that I'm passionate about. Um, yeah, so my name is Jared Homeyer. Uh, I'm a, a Chief Warrant Officer 2 uh, in the Marine Corps. Um, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I've been in the Marine Corps about 13 years now. Um, yeah, I'm a ground electronics maintenance officer by trade, but I really do try to embody that every Marine should be a capable warrior kind of spirit. Um, I won't say every Marine a rifleman. It's too cliche. Yes. Um, but I, I do think we should all be capable Um yeah, so uh, shooting's always been been fun and interesting. Uh, being able to master different skills and crafts, um, always looking for a challenge like that. And shooting can be challenging in lots of different ways. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up here. Um, me and Frank worked in the offices next to each other um, for about a year and a half. So that's how I know him. Um, and then I just met you at the at the tactical games uh, team event that we did back in August of twenty one. Um, and then now we're here. So um, how long have you been into the competitive shooting sports and what got you into them? Sure. So um, I, I, I wouldn't have a specific answer. I guess I, I probably shot my first like IDPA match in like 2016. Um, and that was my, that was my gateway drug. Um, IDPA, uh, most people that listen to your podcast probably aren't a fan of, I would guess. And we won't call it the by the other term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will say that there are things about IDPA that I that I definitely don't like, and I think they they there's some things that they do that are very strange and and make it so it's not super relevant. Um, I do think some of the spirit behind some of their rules are kind of a good thing, um, and I, I just wish there were better ways to implement some of those things. Um, but yeah, my, my dad got me into it. He was part of a, a gun club. Um, and, you know, just being home on leave one time, he was like, Hey, you want to come try your hand at this? And, you know, I was decent. Um, so got into it that way. Um, did a couple steel challenge matches and things like that. Just kind of exploring, you know, what would, what was going on at the gun club the weekend I happened to be in town. Um, and then moving out here, um, dealing with Frank got me into USPSA a little bit more. And then he keyed me on, on the tactical games, um, which was a ton of fun. Um, I'm a very infrequent shooter though. I have, I have three kids. Um, I have a family. I have to, I have to pay back my Saturdays that I might spend at the range by taking a day off that week, uh, to make it up to the family, um, which is totally fine, but it's, uh, I don't get to shoot as much as, as a geo bachelor like Frank. Yeah. The, um, I got a schedule out at least a couple weeks in advance with Jared. And I think one of the first things you told me was no Sundays because of church, yeah, and I think more plans have fallen through than have gone ahead, but we have gone out for a few practice sessions, and we've definitely gone out for uh, quite a few matches. So, Frank, whenever you and, go and out... hopefully it's not too much of a drag. <laughs> oh, it's always good to have you along, buddy. But what you were saying, Matt? So, whenever you guys came up with your schedule, um, how did you kind of prescribe it? You know, you're you're a really well seasoned shooter. Um, you kind of knew the direction. How did you kind of get Jared involved and kind of build it up together on specific skills? So I take your question to be directed towards our participation in that tackle games team event. Yep. Okay. So um, like Jared said, we started off doing USPSA. 
we uh before we did that team games we did a skirmish together that was in march of 2021 mm-hmm. did we train together for that jared i don't think i don't i don't think we did okay so that was held i think it was in hoffman north carolina i can't remember the name of the range but it was just a short one day three battle skirmish so we both went to that, and I think that's where you got the itch. And uh, Jared, you've basically said to me that after doing stuff like the tackle games, you you don't really have much of an incentive to go back to uh, the USPSA uh, type of competitions. Uh, not that you will never go back to it, but I think you prefer the format of the tackle games and the skirmish. I, I do. Uh, I think it's I think it's important to integrate fitness. Um, into shooting like you know just talking about capability you know marine corps career stuff things that align i think being a capable warrior athlete is is what i aim for i think tactical games fits that pretty well maybe even geared a little bit more towards the athletics than the shooting um but yeah uspsa there's no fitness component required um and that makes it a little bit of a turnoff and it's you know if i had a magic wand and could make my own event um, the stages would probably be a little bit, the shooting would be more like USPSA with the fitness of tactical games. Um, Cause some of the tactical game shooting is not as dynamic as I'd like it to be, but um, you know, trying, trying to manage an event that big um, with that many people, you know, there's limitations, range and space and safety and all kinds of things like that. Um, but it was definitely a lot of fun and it was, um, it, it definitely helped me test um, the things that I felt like I would be good at and, and saw things that I wasn't as good at. Um, and, and that's, you know, I'm always looking for a thing to improve on. So it was a good place to be. So how did you incorporate the fitness? Because like, Jared, you're, let's be real. You're kind of, you, you're not, you know, a big buff guy, but you're fit. Uh, and then Frank, you know, you're, you're a bit buffer. Um, how did you guys Frank the tank? <laughs> Frankus the Tankus. Uh, how did you guys, uh, you know, when it came to battle planning, and obviously you can't plan for everything, you know, how did you guys incorporate those skills into your training, it's specifically the fitness side of things? So I'll talk about how, yes, so our preparation, uh, we did the skirmish together. Jared liked it enough. I asked him if we wanted to do the team game in August. It's far enough out that we could just plan to uh, prepare together. Um, we tried to train like two, two times a week. Uh, Jared, you're in the middle of your intramural soccer season and you are, I believe, the team captain. So, and obviously you have a million other things going on in your life uh, at the same time. So knowing our strengths, knowing that I was a little better at picking up heavy objects and Jared is a lot better at running long distances and endurance, we, uh, we did a lot of sandbag work. A lot of our work was at the hit gym. Uh, we would incorporate this sled, uh, sandbags. They had a yoke there. And eventually we transitioned over to the Intel Battalion hit locker just because the, I, f- I forget what, something happened at the hit gym that just kind of like turned us off of it. Yeah, they just wouldn't let us take a lot of the stuff outside. So we, like, we were trying to do laps and, and reps, you know, just down and back stuff. And, uh, and indoors kind of wasn't good enough. Um, and, yeah, going to the, to the unit hit locker gave us a little bit more freedom. Yeah, so we hit, um, we'd hit rope climbs. We'd hit farmer's carries. Uh, there was a little, like, offloading ramp over at Intel Battalion that we'd use for, like, a little bit of um, just, you know, work, work your way up a hill. Um, but we trained like that together for quite a while. Um, and I think our preparations were pretty on point because I didn't feel like physically unprepared for any of the events that we ran into at the team games. Um, and then our last session together was uh, yoga on the fourth deck of the Intel Battalion parking garage, <laughs> tapering off uh, the, the week before the, uh, before the event. So, uh... yeah. So to, to add on to the perspective from my side, uh, he's exactly right. We, we kind of, we, I think it was the first tactical games team event they'd ever done. And we didn't know if there might be options for like one person to do a heavy lift and one person to do, you know, something that was more endurance based. We were kind of hoping it would be like that. It didn't really work out that way. Um, there, there was a little bit of freedom in, in choosing who carried what, but at the end of the day, pretty much everything had to go the whole distances each time. Um, but yeah, that, that's generally my strength. I'm like five, nine hundred and fifty pounds. I'm a long distance runner. 
Um, I enjoy running. I'm a, I'm a weird guy like that. Um, but you know, a half marathon every Monday is not, you know, out of the question for me during the summer season when I'm in shape. Um, So that's kind of where I started from. What's that? That sounds miserable. (laughs) Mondays are just long run days. And, you know, if I end up doing about 13 miles, that's pretty normal. Um, and in the winter I do taper off just because it's dark and cold and much less pleasant. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I felt like I was going to, you know, struggle with some of the lifts um, and just doing a little research on the history of the tactical games between the skirmish that we did and a full tactical games event. I was expecting a lot uh, more Olympic style lifts and things like that, which we did encounter. Um, so most of the time we did circuit work, sandbags, things like that. I did a couple other sessions, you know, just doing Olympic lifts, overhead lifts and things like that because I, I knew I was weaker at it. Um, and then, yeah, I'm a, I do yoga too. Um, and so I introduced him to that. I think, um, I don't know. Had you done yoga before that? Yeah, dude, I did an entire year of Bikram yoga. Um, Uh, I went to TBS and then I just stopped doing it in its entirety and, uh, let my body get all tight and gross. And here I am with a torn Achilles. Yep. That's me. Lessons learned. Okay. I didn't know that you did all that yoga. So here we go. So I, I, I kind of have a, a question for either one of you. Like, so you, you guys kind of programmed your own thing together. Um, for those who want to actually do a team event or even if they want to do an individual event, where, what are some resources that you guys utilize in order to come up with uh, your programming for the training of the tactical games? So if your unit has a hit locker, a lot of the stuff that the tackle games will use will be in there. If you're lucky enough to be stationed 29 Palms, that hit complex at the bottom has a lot of strongman stuff. Um, they have Husafel stones. They have farmer's carries. Um, that I, I was, I had the, had the luck to be out there for two months back in uh, 2020. And I did, I did all my workouts down there at the uh, hit complex. Um, so, and honestly, if all else fails, I recommend picking up a brute force sandbag because you can get sand anywhere. It's one of those things where you can empty out all the sand. You can put it in your check-in bag if you're traveling and you just fill it up somewhere else and they, they can go up to like 150 pounds. But I'll turn it over to you, Jared. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Um, I, I think uh, just a good functional fitness base is a good place to start from being able to work with like odd shaped objects and, and sandbags are great for that. Husafel stones, if you can find them. But um, if not, I mean, there's a lot of things you can improvise. I, I think for me coming from a base of good endurance and, um, and you know, none, none of the stuff that I will talk about will be scientifically vetted or anything like that. But I feel like having a good cardio base, being able to do work for like an hour or two hours at a time um, and being, I do most of my workouts fasted. Um, trying to keep my metabolic system targeting, you know, using fats instead of using carbs. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was a good place to start from so that when you do a tactical games event where you spend like a whole weekend, basically, I don't, I don't say on edge, maybe that's not the right word, but like you do, you do a battle, you don't have a whole lot of downtime, usually not enough time to eat or get like a full recovery. And then you're, you're doing another thing, um, having being able to to just know that you can do a solid hard day's work and not have to worry so much about you know refueling and eating and stuff like that um i think that was one of the things that helped me be successful i won't say i programmed or targeted any of that more than just my normal workout routine um but i think being able to you know do a solid days of patrol um or a, a long ruck march um and things like that i think those are valuable skills and training your metabolic system to support that is important also. No, I, I think I can completely agree with you on that and completely not a scientific approach to anything. You know, whenever I used to train, uh, even when I do train, um, but I remember, you know, going to run with my Lieutenant, you know, when I was a platoon Sergeant, I would, I would start the run and I, for everybody that already knows me, yes, I dip a lot. You know, it's my only vice that I have in my life. Um, but I would take the dip out of my mouth, throw it on the ground and be like, all right, let's go for a three mile run, you know? So I'm already dehydrated because I spent, you know, 
half an hour driving to work with the dip in. I spent 15 minutes at the office already just kind of hanging out talking. And now here I am. Hey, let's go for a three mile run and go get it. You know, let's go for a five mile run. I'm dehydrated. But, you know, my perspective of things is whenever I'm in a certain situation, whether it's in combat or not, you know, I got to be training myself to the to to what I'm actually going to be going through. You know, when I was in combat, I would just smoke three three packs of cigarettes a day. I'm super dehydrated. So, you know, I'm just recreating the environment I may be in. You know, is that the healthiest of things to do? Probably not, but I'm doing it for a specific purpose. Um, I don't do that stuff anymore. I hydrate properly now. I don't smoke. Um, But anytime I train now, I'll just be like, all right, I'm going to go do this. And I have my schedule, I have my uh, programming, and I go out and I hit it. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And you know, one of the things I, I talk to my Marines about, yeah, people like to complain about the PFT, right? Like, when are we going to run three miles in combat? Got it. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I, I want key indicators for, like, what my Marines can do. Um, but they're capable to know. Of- yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the big things is like, can you put on a pack and some body armor and wait and move all day and like not stop? And like, we might not have time to stop and eat. So can you keep going? Or are you a dude who has to like stuff your face every hour and a half just to keep up with what everybody else is doing? You know, so there's, um, and everybody's a little bit different. You know, some people are naturally predisposed to one, you know, thing or another. Um, but those are, those are things that, that if you can train for, you should train for. Um, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll kind of go into something because you kind of mentioned when in combat, are you going to run three miles? Um, I'll bring up a very specific story, you know, whenever I was in third battalion, second Marines, um, you know, our snipers went out and they were in a hide. They had to engage targets in the city of Carabola and, that city at the time in 05, that was a hotbed because that was the closest city to the Syrian border. And that's where a lot of your foreign insurgents were coming in from. And then they would continue making their way east. So when they engaged these targets, um, they had to get out of their hide and get to their extract point. Their extract point was about three miles away. So they're running three miles from their hide to their extract point with full kit on. So you can't plan for every scenario, but you have to be capable of accomplishing whatever task that is in front of you. If that's getting out of that, that position, you got to do it. You know, it's the guy to your left or right that that's that, that you have to be able to be willing to protect. And- yeah, I'm totally with you. And, and cardio is just a tool in the toolbox. And it's better to have it um, than not have it. You know, will, will you use that particular type of cardio to run three miles slick? No, but it's a similar type of cardio that you need to run three miles in kit. So yeah. it, it definitely can stay relevant. And, you know, I used to do stuff whenever I would be training in the field where you know, probably one of the dumbest things I ever did, but it kind of gave me the the confirmation that I needed. I went five days without eating period. I would just hydrate, but we were out in the field for a good week, week and a half. I went five of those days without eating. And then we finished that field off with a 10 mile road march. Right before the road march, I ate an MRE banana bread out of the packet. And that's all I ate because I needed some kind of calories in my body and I made it, but it was a level of fitness. I had to test myself on because when you're in certain situations, you don't know what kind of systems you have to rely on in order to stay active and stay coherent. Yep. And then, you know, there's a, I don't know if you've read thinking fast and slow, um, but there's a big section in the book about, glucose levels and cognitive function so Mm -hmm. like how well can your brain work when you've burned a lot of calories already and will you still be able to make good decisions and stuff like that and yeah those are those are all things that we need to test ourselves on way before it's it's crunch time and and before we're forward and in a tough situation 
So I, I know we kind of got way off topic there, but I think it's kind of relevant to some of the tasks you may see at the tactical games because it's not just a matter of being able to pick up these weights, get over this bar and shoot these targets because, you you know, everything that we're describing that we've done to train is testing our cognitive, cognitive skills to actually work as a team and say, hey, when we're game planning this, this is what I want to do. This is what I need you to do. And this is how we're going to engage these targets. So uh, let's go over some of the events uh, that we did back in August or that you two did. Um, uh, you know, we had the Axel Bar two-man carry. Uh, you want to kind of go over some of these events that we had to go through? Yeah, I I can uh I I can cover it. So I think in order, uh, we did the one that had yokes, sandbags, and a farmer's carry, and uh, one of us had to carry the farmer's carry while the other one was shooting. So that was our first event, and then uh, Jared and I moved into the long movement, which was just a series of like steel shots, rifle and pistol, and then they just made us run five miles through the hills of West Virginia, and I got to hear a lot of renditions of John Denver don't act like you didn't like it jared your singer your singing voice is not great <laughs> i mean it um, was it was at the end of five miles and there was there was it was all throughout <laughs> there, all through there were the plates miles. pushing on my lungs so i'm gonna blame that okay i have I, to ask something did you guys run the entire time or did you guys actually take breathers we took breathers okay. well so i think jared probably could have run the entire time but um you know i was i was the anchor there and there were times i would basically say like hey man i gotta walk this section um but overall i think we struck a pretty good balance between the two of us uh just keeping it moving we passed like four or five other squads that started like before us like yep. some as some as many as like 10 15 minutes before us and yep. they were just completely wiped and we we just kept it moving. Um, so and we had that. really with those, with those breaks, we, we would run for maybe five or 10 minutes and then walk for like 90 seconds. Like it, it was not long. So we were probably like 95% running. Um, so it, you weren't holding us back. No, I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, the long run. And then uh, our last event that day was the two-man uh, axle bar carry. You could have carried it by yourself. You could have um, uh, you, you could have cleaned it up, but um, neither of us could have done that. So we ended up carrying it, both of us. So that was day one. Uh, day two, I want to say we did the relay first, like the handover hugs. It was like the sled, the sandbag, the Husafel stone. That ended up being my favorite one because I think our teamwork was really like we were just in sequence and there was never a point at which one of us was waiting on the other. Um, and then I did we do El Cartel after that? We had El Cartel. And then the last one was one where we had to move uh, the yoke, the sandbag, the farmer's carry all the way down and back. Yeah. And we had to uh, we had to uh, carry each other too. Right. So yeah. six events. There was a floater event that was a little more dynamic, um, but that was that's the gist of it. So if we want to talk about just in sequence, um, so the farmers carry while partners shooting. I kind of let us down during that one. My grip strength and we're gonna grip strength is very important. There's a lot of things that are important towards a being being uh being successful in tactical games but the amount of times that you're going to uh, need grip strength um one to shoot your weapon but two farmers carries like there's a lot of farmers carries um my farms were burnt and there was at one point uh you and i had talked about having like a verbal warning and i was basically like jared down like i was about to drop the farmers carries because you would get penalized if you shot while your partner did not have the farmers carries up I honestly don't remember a whole lot more from that battle. Do you? Yeah, no, I think there was just that one break that you had to take. And we had talked about that possibility. So we just made sure we communicated to avoid the penalty. Um, we knew we'd have to be loud because everybody was shooting. Um, yeah. So you gave us, you gave me the heads up on that. You know, I just paused for a second. Um, you told me, but when you were back up, you know, put the last like four or five rounds out. Um, and that was, that was it. That one was um, difficult. I think it was about 375 that we had to farmers hold. I won't say carry, but like we had to pick up and hold. Um, and with 
with the way we rotated with teammates, like you would come off the line of holding 375 for, you know, a good couple minutes. And then you're in the shooting box next and you just go to, you go to present your rifle and, and then, then you feel it right then uh, mm-hmm. when you're trying to get on target and, and your forearms are really burning. Um, but that, that was a pretty fun one. I think it was a good event to start with. We just got in the, in the communication um, part of our, of our teamwork. Um, we did kind of our first stage plan, which wasn't super complex, but we covered some of the bases that we thought we, you know, eventualities that might happen. Um, that was a, obviously a good choice because that saved us uh, from a penalty. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a good, that was a good easy event to, to start with uh, for the weekend, I think. Well, I think I remember, uh, well, I do remember watching you guys because you, I think I was squad 16. You guys were what, maybe squad 12 or something, or you might've been yeah. 16 and I was 19. <laughs> yeah, it, it was one of those, but I remember watching you guys and I think you were your group you guys specifically were the very first and one of the few ones out of the intermediate class that actually finished that battle. Like, so you guys were pretty on point and key with your, your decision-making with, uh, with how you communicated the plan. Yeah. I've said it several times when talking to people about the tactical games. I mean, we, we ended up placing fourth out of 62 intermediate teams. Um, we were neither the fourth best shooters nor the fourth most fit people there. Um, I think what we did really well was have efficiency and like good communication. Um, we saw, we, we would watch an event, watch somebody else do it. Um, we'd see mistakes and things that held people up. And then we would just kind of make a plan like, Hey, you know, when they transition between these two things, they're, they're getting caught up on it. So we would plan like, okay, when you set them, when you set this device down, set it down this way. And then when I set this down, I'll set it down that way. And then we know exactly how to go into the handles or how to pick up the next thing. Um, and, and things like that, we, we tried to do everything except shooting fast um, transitions between, you know, devices or implements or whatever. Um, and, and our movements quick. And I, I think that helped a lot. I'd have to say my favorite event from that whole thing. Um, I think El Cartel was really fun just because it was so dynamic. But my favorite event from the weekend was the sled sandbag who's felt stone relay Um, because you had to, it was very prescriptive and you had to stay on task and not get lost within that task. So you had to have a, a real legitimate cognitive ability to think what you were supposed to do next. And then you had to set the rope a specific way so it didn't get tangled up whenever you started dragging it and the next person had to get to that sled. Yeah, if I may. So just to illustrate for our audience, um, we had a sled, which was being pulled by like basically climbing rope with some weights on it. Uh, I think there was a sandbag or something else and there's a Husafel stone. I think it was the the sled, the Husafel stone, and shooting were the three things. And you were always doing one. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there there were um, were three things that you had to do. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Matt. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this to you, Jared. Uh, Some teams fell apart during that one because it was like, dude, you left the rope tangled underneath the sled when you finished because you were just so tired and just like, fuck it. Um, And you didn't think about the fact that your buddy would one need to like flip that sled around 180 and also untangle the rope, which is then going to cause a log jam. And then only one person can be shooting at a time. So you literally have somebody sitting there killing time when you could be progressing towards your goal, watching his buddy shoot. That didn't happen. I think we almost stacked up once. Um, But I, I agree with you, Matt. That was my favorite one, just partly because there was a lot of emphasis on the individual like components of the team. Like we had to know the plan and we had to do it in sequence, but also Jared, you and I, I think we executed that one really well. And that was one of our best stages. Yeah, I I totally agree. That was one of my favorites. I remember watching, I remember the guy you're talking about uh, when he kind of got off on his, on his teammate. Um, And there was some technical stuff in there too, like the, the rope and the carabiner that attached it. Um, and like some people got the carabiner, you know, in a weird position and then it made it hard for them to pull. Um, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot that went into it. Um, but yeah, basically, so there were, 
there were th- three different distances for the Husafel stone. There was like the short, medium, long. You had to make sure you did them in the right sequence. And then you had to pull the, the sled uh, one of those lengths. And, um, you know, the short was one length, the medium was two lengths, and the long was three. Um, and, yeah, I think we just um, made, a, made a good system to make sure that uh, you wouldn't be done with something while the other guy was still on the, the thing that you needed. So you would basically have to wait in line behind your own teammate. So I don't think we had any waiting for anything. Um, and I think we basically knew from the beginning, if we ended up waiting on our teammate to be, to move on to the next implement, then it was just time wasted. Like it was time that we weren't moving one of the implements. Um, yeah, but definitely one of my favorites and, um, it was a good all around fitness, um, and the shooting was fun on that one. Cause I think we shot off the, the simulated rooftop for that one. Yeah. That sounds about right. The, uh, yeah. the rooftop, it was the same, yep. it was the same range that we started, um, that we shot before we went on the long movement the day prior. Right. And another one I really did enjoy, honestly, was the axle bar two man carry, because you had the choice of either carrying the axle bar with two men or you could have carried it on your own. And I know like with me and my teammate, uh, we did single band lifts the majority of the time. And I think that bar weighs what roughly 165 pounds, something around there. Um, you know, so I remember going up to it. I was like, all right, can I clean this? And then can I properly carry it? So I went up to it. I was able to clean it. And then I was able to move with it. I was like, all right, I don't know if I can do this for the entire relay, but this is the quickest way to get it down and back while my buddy's shooting rather than doing multiple extra reps just so one person can shoot. Yeah. I think the, uh, the thing that we were concerned about with that was if you couldn't complete the single man lift all the way down and back, you had to put, you had to put the implement down, roll it back. And then you had, you would have to get your buddy to do the whole thing. Um, and, and it was basically a penalty if, if you attempted and couldn't finish that rep by yourself. Right. Um, and I know I, I would not have felt good. About, it was that thick bar too. Uh, what yes. I forget what they yeah, it was it. the axle bar. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like a normal uh, barbell bar. Um, and that threw some people off because the grip is different. Um, and yeah, I wasn't super confident in being able to do that. Frank, I don't know if you felt like you could do it, but we just decided to go two man because I was the limiting factor. I, um, I, I don't know if you remember, I tried it. Um, pretty oh, yeah. sure Matt was there. Uh, he was like, get under the bar. And at that point, that was our last battle that day. So I think it's a combination of me just not doing cleans on my own, um, being fatigued. But I think both of us saw that. That was the point at which we're like, we're just going to have a conservative game tent plan. We're going to plan to carry it between the both of us. It's going to save some energy, allow us to get some better hits. And we're just going to be efficient about the way we carry the bar. And the way we ended up carrying it was a lot of guys were like stacked in the middle of the bar between the weights. We opted instead to place the very ends of the bar on our shoulders because that gives you more room to move your feet. And it means you're not like right on top of each other and bumping into each other and wasting ex uh, wasting excess like movements uh, as you're going back and forth. Because when that thing's on your shoulders, you really, if you're the guy in the back, you really can't see shit. Um, so I, I don't think it, we, we didn't do amazing in that one. Um, but I think our plan works. Yeah. I'm, I, maybe I'm remembering it a tiny bit different. I think our front person went behind the plates and our back person went, on the very back, like outside the plates. Cause I think one of the things we saw was once the, once the bar was all assembled, there was not a whole lot of bar sticking out from the weights. And when guys tried to go on the very front on the outside, they had trouble keeping it on their shoulder. Cause we had seen somebody try to do that. Um, especially cause they're trying to lean and go forward. And like, if you lean too far forward, you're basically putting the plates on your, the back of your shoulder and your shoulder might pull away from the bar. So our guy in front had basically the plates to push on and the guy in back also had the plates to push on to move quickly. And, you know, we had some, some communication stuff pre-established for like going down, going up. Some dudes were, I remember one, it was as simple as some dudes were counting one, two, three up and one, two, three down to communicate. And we decided we were just going to do ready up, ready down because Mm -hmm. we, we figured counting took too long. Um, and you know, over the, doing that bar back and forth six times or whatever, um, that might've been 20 seconds that we saved. 
Yeah. Um, so I think, I think you are right in terms of the placement of the bar. And I would say in addition, I, I think we also game planned which side we were going to use to ditch the bar and which side we we're going to then like pick up the bar on because yep. it was one movement down and then you had to both do a 180 and then pick the bar back up. So I want to say we spread loaded in order to avoid overtaxing one side. Yep. And, and like you said, if uh, a, one of the big things we saw people doing was putting both between the weights and then tripping over each other, you know, the, the front guy's rifle whacking the back guy's knees, um, stuff like that. And, and we just identified a lot of those things, mitigated them and found a way to work around them. And yeah, I think our efficiency and, and planning really uh, moved us higher up than we p- would have placed on merit or whatever. So one thing I will say, uh, just so people can visualize, you know, Frank and Jared are both roughly the same height. Um, and that helps a lot. So if you're, if you plan on doing a team event, you know, not saying it's impossible, but pick somebody around your same height. Um, me, for instance, you know, our team name was pints and pilsners. I was the short guy. I'm five foot six. I weigh about 175 pounds. And my partner was what Bob's probably about six, two, six, three plays about 250 pounds. And I had the fireman carry him, you know, was, you know, in full kit and is it doable? Yeah. You know, whenever it comes to strength, I excel at that. You know, I, one thing I take seriously is I do a lot of functional fitness and I do a lot of cleans. I do a lot of clean and jerks. I, a lot of deadlifts. I do a lot of those Olympic lifts so I can maintain that, uh, that strength side of things. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. I think that brings us to the other battle where we did have to firemen's carry each other. Um, that one had me nervous. You know, we, we firemen's carry on our CFT all the time. I don't in like, not very often do I end up intentionally trying to fireman's carry somebody who weighs a lot more than me. Um, so I was concerned about that. And, and uh, you know, we just, we just went for it. Did we practiced a couple of times, had some adrenaline on uh, during the battle. And uh, I was able to do that without slowing down much, if at all. Um, so yeah, good functional fitness and a good base um, is, a, is a good place to start. And now it's like the profile picture for everything, isn't it? It is. Not, not hey, everything. Hey, you know, I got to say, I, you know, as an amateur photographer, I, I think that was a great photo. I, I think you did a great job that whole weekend. Uh, those, some of those are some of my favorite photos. Um, oh. Yeah, I use those repeatedly. No, I appreciate it. So the photo in question is just Jared carrying me, Fireman's carrying me, and uh, I've made the joke multiple times, but that also represents our professional relationship in which <laughs> he carries my ass all day at work. <laughs> hey, you know, he wasn't in, well, you weren't enlisted too, but not like him, not like me. So we carry you officers. Yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, what, is, what does that leave? Uh, does that leave El Cartel? And that, that would probably be a good example of uh, when our plan didn't quite go right. Yeah, I will. Uh, so just to paint the picture for everyone, El Cartel was, uh, we started off in the SUV. One shooter had to take the left side and one shooter had to take the right side. There were a bunch of IPSC targets uh, and steel on both sides. Uh, you, on, on the start, you and... Man, what was that part time again? It was like it was like 120 seconds, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a minute, a minute and a half. A minute and a half. Okay, so even less than it was 90 seconds. So you had to, you had to be booking on this, like you had to shoot it fast. No, nope, so, I'm wrong. It was it was two minutes. You're two right. minutes. It I'd still it's still it's still not a lot of time. Um, but depending on which side uh, you were shooting from, you had to gauge it. I think it was about six paper targets with rifle. You had to open the door, and from behind the door, you had to engage all the steel with your pistol. It's just a bunch of poppers. And at that point, clear your guns. You had to move to the back, and I think you had to engage some more targets from the back uh, behind the SUV. Yeah, I think you did the same rifle targets again from the back of the SUV. Um, And then, uh, and at that point, you had to go and pick up two, um, was it Rescue, Rescue Randy's? Yep. Um, two, two like dummies. Uh, I think they're about 150 pounds per, uh, just those gangly limbs and all that. 
Uh, you had to pick those up and you had to get them in the back of the SUV. You had to close the door and you had to be sitting in the uh, driver's and passenger seat before time expired in order to meet that part time. And the rescue so, Randys were stationed in front of the vehicle, probably yes. like you know, 10 or 15 yards in front. Um, and they were like leaned up against each other back to back and you had to go get them. And you yeah, had to, so, you kind of had to game plan and figure out how was I actually going to pick up this rescue Randy? Yeah. Cause there's, so Randy, Randy is not like, I mean, he, he's got a lot of gangly limbs, so depending on where you pick him up, he's just flopping all over the place. It's like, um, what was that game that came out? The, the QWERTY, the, the fucking, the track yep. runner that you had to like try to manipulate. That's, that's yeah. It was like that. <laughs> just like that. He's just a spaz. Um, I, I will cop to some of my failures during this. I, I definitely held us back. So, um, I chose to go on the left side and, uh, Matt, you and I have talked about this. Uh, you, you firmly believe that the stronger shooter, uh, should have gone on the dominant side. Yep. Um, I was, I was too slow with my engagements on the left side. I'm not used to shooting from my left side, slowed that down a little bit. The shots were okay. Um, moving to when it, when we got to the back of the SUV, I engaged my targets and then I got tangled up with my sling for about three to five seconds, which put me behind Jared's pace. So by the time that he was already moving his Randy, I was just moving up to that Randy. Um, so I was a step behind and we barely made that part time, but it definitely could have been cleaner execution if I hadn't spent as much, if I, if I had just been prepared better for my half. Uh, I think that brings up there. two really good points to talk about. One was, um, one applied just to El Cartel, basically. We saw a lot of people struggle getting Randy into the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, just you had to get the limbs all in there and then get both. It was a Suburban, so it had like split back doors. And you had to get them both closed. So a lot of dudes w- could pop him up on the bumper or whatever and had trouble getting all the limbs inside. And then their teammate would show up with their Randy and be trying to throw on top or whatever. And once he's halfway in, then your teammate can't really help because you can't both like reach in there at the same time. And you, you just get in each other's way. So we had a plan to get both of them to the back door and then, Hey, you grab arms, I'll grab legs and we'll just swing him in there. Um, but when I ended up a step ahead, we had to just kind of call the audible. And um, yeah, I think, we, I think I got a little bit lucky just the way I threw him in the truck. I was able to get most of his limbs in there, like one shot, got it in there really easy. And when I turned around, Frank had just showed up with his Randy, and then we were able to throw him in together. Um, so that one didn't quite go according to plan, but we were flexible and like we had worked together enough to know how we were going to tackle it. So that worked. But the other thing I'll say is um, for tactical games, any tactical games, the entire event, like you have to know how to work in your sling. That is probably one of the, the most key skills. Um, some of the lifts and implements you're going to use you're going to want to keep it slung on your front. You're, you're going to you know, have faster transitions between shooting. And some, like you're going to need both hands and you need your rifle out of the way in the back. So being able to, to swim in and out of the sling and go between just neck loop or you know, a two-point loop in the front to a two-point loop in the back, being able to do it quickly and safely and keep it all out of the way, that, that is something I probably wish I'd have practiced more. Um, I ended it, you know, it didn't, it didn't hold me up on any of the events I can think of, but uh, I just didn't realize how big of a part of it that would be. And it's, it's, you know, you might be switching your sling position six or eight times in one battle um, between the, the way that you're carrying your weapons. So. No. So I, I agree. And kind of like similar to you, me and my partner had a game plan. I kind of figured because Bob was taller than me, he would get to the back of that vehicle a lot faster. So I was like, Hey, whoever gets back to the back of the vehicle first, start prepping to pick him up to get him in the back, but I will join you or you join me and we'll get yours in first. And then we'll go grab mine and then we'll pick him up and get him in. So like we, we honestly had some time to figure it out just by watching everybody else. And so we kind of game planned every, every scenario that we could in order to be efficient with every movement. Um, so that being said about all these events, uh, how do you feel about your placement? I know everybody wants to get the podium first, second, third. You, you mentioned Jared, that you guys came in fourth. How do you feel 
as a team event that you guys did? Yeah, I mean, I'll go, I'll go first. I'm super pleased with it. I think, um, like I said, I think we placed better than we shot, and I think we placed better than our, our fitness um, would have put us if it was just a straight fitness thing. I, I think we, we melded both of those skills really well and really efficiently. Um, I think being a team thing was probably to our advantage um, and, and that we worked together well in that. I think where other people were losing time uh, just between teammates, we were not. Um, so I think that helped us. So I'm super pleased with it. It's a, it's a proud thing that I brag about and I brag on Frank, uh, you know, when I talk to people who, who know both of us and stuff, um, you know, yeah, it would have been great to, to be in third or whatever, but I'm still super pleased with our performance. I did not think we would do that well going into it. Yeah. Um, missing the podium. Um, I mean, on, on Sunday, I think we're both looking at each other as like, do we stick around? Cause we got a long drive home, but if we're going to be on the podium, kind of want to stick around for awards, uh, didn't up happening. I know what I messed up on. I know the things that I had to work on. Uh, we both kind of knew where we lost our points and where we, uh, seeded ground to the other teams. Um, but what I'd really like to highlight is, you know, um, it really just, it, it the, the way we performed in that event, um, verified why, I, I chose Jared as my, as my team, as my buddy, you know, um, you, you want to choose someone who cares about the event. It was going to put in the same level of preparation. So showed up to all those workouts. It wasn't like, Hey man, when are we going to work out? Like we hit the range a few times together. And then, uh, the communication was constant throughout. Like we we're on the same page in terms of like, it wasn't like one of us was just like, ah, I mean, we don't need to prepare. Let's, let's just do it. Like both of us were like, no, we're going to watch people. And we're going to try to do this in the most efficient way uh, possible because we drove all the way out here. We're burning all these rounds. We paid money. We paid, we paid good money to get into this. Um, he's taking a weekend away from his family. We're both going to make it worth it. So we were both on the same page and yeah, for, for someone who like did one skirmish and this was his first official tactile games. Um, I, I did a couple before that. I think a fourth place finish is pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. So I know we kind of already talked about training and get with the hit gym and all that stuff, but, uh, uh, preparation maintenance game day. Um, how do you, what do you recommend if Marines are interested in getting into it, how they should properly prepare, like, you know, the workups, the workup cycle. So I'll start off here. So, uh, having done a few of these, I would say you should take at least a couple months, three months. My preparation usually has to do with a lot of heavy leg work, um, leg and grip work. So squats, like Olympic lifts, that kind of stuff. And then I will, I will start working in the flak runs, you know, um, that same play carrier I'm going to use during the tactile games has to be 15 pounds. Uh, start working that in. And then I will start doing uh, some more functional fitness and circuit workouts that more replicate the games near the end. Um, it's good to get to the range and actually do like we, we went to the range um, and we did, um, we incorporated like sprints and like some VTAC barricade work uh, just to make sure, you know, just get the heart going. Cause you don't usually shoot under those conditions. Usually, People shoot static and they're calm and um, they're in a shaded area. Like, no, we stressed ourselves out a little bit and pushed ourselves there. Um, and then also like, hey, that that week before, like like I said, we didn't work out hard. We did yoga. We took care of our bodies. Um, obviously, leading up to game day, hydration is key. Um, I think Jared mentioned that you don't really have, I think it might've been you, Matt, that you don't really have time to like eat a large meal. And it's actually detrimental, right? If you have another battle in two hours, you can't really get away with stuffing your face full of pasta. So um, we bought, we bought, uh, I think we body armor, body armor was our go-to for that games. Um, filled a cooler with it. I had my, my thing, my go-to is like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I just munch on those throughout. Um, Jared, basically, um, you, you had your own sandwiches that you, 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 uh, you made for yourself. And then, um, uh, we got there early on Friday, got there. We looked at, we looked at the stages, um, kind of got like a mental, uh, mental lay down of the, the, the lay of the land because 
it, it can be jarring if you get there Saturday morning and that's your first time seeing everything. We checked our zeros right on that Friday just to make sure, just to make sure nothing shifted during travel and um, settled into the hotel, got a good night's sleep. Um, I would say the having done several of these uh, things, the, these uh, these games, the crucial thing is between, because it's a two-day event, right? Saturday to Sunday. A lot of guys after Saturday being like, man, I'm beat. I'm just going to go straight to bed or I'm just going to drink a lot of alcohol. I'm just going to stuff my face. I'm just going to go straight to bed. Like you got to maintain, like you got to, you got to stretch. You got to like, you got to like work out some of that, some of that stress that's built up because you've done a lot and you're going to do a lot the next day. Uh, you don't want to fall apart on day two. Um, I think that's a lot of the preparation that, um, that I usually bring to the games, but I'll let you take over and, uh, add anything, Jared. Yeah. Um, so you, you, people might notice between me and Frank, I tend to cover a lot of, or I tend to think about or focus on some of the stuff that, that, that he doesn't, I think this is a, a good example. Um, so yeah, fitness kind of same thing. I, I went with his plan on that basically, cause he had done these before. Um, so nothing crazy there, but just as stuff I'll talk about, um, there's some resources out there to help people get prepared. So like there's a tactical games athlete, Facebook page. Um, I think that was a really good one to, to get on if for no other reason, just to see what other people are doing. Like there's a lot of good ideas for training out there. Not maybe not all good ideas. Um, maybe they're not, you know, right for your level of fitness at the time, but they're seeing what other people have done and been successful with. Um, there, there's a community there where everybody can get together and talk about it. Um, so I think that's a, a good help. If I was doing it again, I would get on that even earlier and, and pay more attention to it. Um, and then, yeah, just the stuff that he didn't cover, I would say working in your gear, you know, not fumbling over a mag, uh, making sure your slings, not going to get caught up on things. Um, and just being confident in your setup, you know, having shoes that, you know, you can wear for two days and not get blisters that you can do a long run in. Um, yeah, just those, those kind of things, making sure that all that stuff works. Um, I use my same kit for, for work stuff and field ops and things like that. Um, as, as I did for tactical games, my, my same belt that I use at work, uh, and my tactical belt is what I use for USPSA and tactical games. Um, part of that is budget related, but part of that is, um, cause I, I want to use my gear and know that it works. Um, and competition is a great way to test your gear. Um, I think having reliable weapons is important. I didn't see too much of it. Um, I don't think I saw anybody's gun really go down hard during the event. But, I didn't, I didn't uh, see guns go down, but I saw scopes break. Yeah, so um, I ran at ACOG. Um, I, I forget. What, what were you running, Frank? I was running um, – uh, it was a Trigicon 1-4 to four variable optic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having good reliable weapons, um, that's important. Knowing that your weapon is going to work, knowing how to lubricate it for your, for your conditions, um, like you just – even though we didn't see it at this tactical games, it has happened. And if it, if it happens to you, like, like you said, you spend a lot of money and time to go up there um, and, you know, to go down on a double feed and, and throw away a stage, like that'd be horrible. Um, yeah. And then uh, you mentioned we did our zeros on Friday. Highly recommend. I think just knowing your weapons and knowing the capabilities, knowing your holds, I think is really important. Um, so there's a lot of times where you're shooting, it's a small like eight and a half by 11 paper up on a, on a cardboard backer. Um, and you're shooting it from like 10 to 15 yards. So you're shooting small targets, but you're close. So height over bore and knowing where to hold is super important. And then, you know, some of the other ones we did steal at unknown distances. Um, so being able to range estimate and know where to hold um, because you're going to send those rounds down and you're going to get a hit or a miss. Um, and you're not going to get a whole lot of feedback to, to work yourself onto target. Um, and you got to be able to lay down, understand your position, understand the environment, understand the target and put rounds on steel quickly. If I could jump in real quick, um, Jared, you're shooting a Palmetto state armory, weren't you? Okay. <laughs> I didn't, I mentioned my optic. I didn't mention my right. I, I know, but I, I feel like I have to call it out because we saw a lot of Gucci AR setups. We did. And the two of us, I mean, I was shooting a CZ brand, so I took care of the Gucci part there. But you were shooting, you were shooting like an everyman rifle, and we still outperformed a lot of like the higher, I guess you would say higher tier ARs that were in the competition. 
Yeah, and I, I think what goes into that is it was an AR that I had broken in, put plenty of rounds through, made sure there weren't, um, not that PSA never has a quality control issue, but my rifle didn't have any quality control issues. Um, and, I, and I knew that, and I was confident in it going in. Um, and then pistol for me was a Glock, and it would just eat and shoot anything, and, and it was fine. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to like endorse Palmetto State Armory, but um, it was just as good for me um, in this situation. So, um, yeah, but, but I think the, the same thing applies. Like if you know your weapon and you know it works and you've trained with it, um, you know, if, if it's your, your things go bump in the night gun and, and you're confident in it, um, then you can take it out to tackle games and use it. Um, but yeah, if you, if you buy a brand new Gucci gun, but it's not broken in, you don't know it very well. Um, you don't know the manual of arms for it. Like you can hurt your, your score, um, more than you can help yourself. So, well, I think I had the Gucci's of all the guns out there. I had my STI and my three gun rifle, you know, I, I, you know, it's, I went out with what I'm comfortable shooting and I wasn't going to change what I shoot on a daily basis for any other competition. So, you know, I was confident in my gear and it worked out and held up just fine. Yeah. So same philosophy. You just, Mm -hmm. your everyday gear is Gucci and mine is not. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so Jared, you shot your first McMick at Stone Bay recently, um, and you've also so well. Honestly, let's just stick to the McMick for real quick. Uh, what are your thoughts after shooting two weeks at the McMick between the train up uh, that the Marines gave you into the competition aspect? Yeah, so um, it was my first McMick. I was a Tyro. Um, it was a lot of fun, and it was a lot of good training. Um, we worked, me and Frank worked together, um, to take both of our units to the range. Um, he provided, you know, the ammo and and a lot of the logistical support, um, for it, which was super beneficial. So basically the week before Mick we spent two days at the range working on, um, I won't say Mick specific things, but, um, it was a lot of things that we knew were going to come up. I, I would say most of it was just kind of you know, unorthodox shooting positions and, and good advanced techniques for, for anybody. Um, but a lot of the things we did, it was, you know, Hey, here's how you could employ this tactically. And here's how we're going to employ this next week at the Mick Cause you know, we have uh, Frank had a, a good understanding of what kind of things we would see. Um, but it, it was a really good competition. It was um, I think really good to see a lot of Marines get out there and shoot a competition environment for the first time, um, shoot that format. Um, like I, I have a Marine, you know, she, she actually works for me and she is a super accurate shooter and she has never had anything push her to shoot fast. Um, she's kind of a self perfectionist. So if you tell her like, Hey, hit that Ipsic target and she, she will just slowly put a lot of a zone hits on there. Um, but the competition really got her to, to explore other things and work on doing that quickly. Um, and balancing the speed with accuracy because it was, um, that was the way to get the best score. Um, so things like that were good. Um, there were, there were new techniques that the shooting team was teaching that were good. Um, barricade work, you know, demonstrating things like barrel flex. Um, yeah. So I had a really good time. I think my only real, I won't even say complaint, but we had to shoot the new ARQ format rifle qualification. Um, we did a pre-qual on Tuesday and mm-hmm. then we did training with the shooting team on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then we shot the ARQ on Sunday. It was supposed to be Saturday, but then weather. So going from Tuesday to Sunday and doing a lot of different shooting in between that did not directly correlate to the ARQ um, made some people struggle uh, when they went out to and started at the 500-yard line and they weren't very confident in their holds, um, including some Marines who didn't take care of their weapons and wanted to like adjust their zero on the week in between, um, which was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just having that big gap um, that made it difficult. Most of the time when Marines shoot the ARQ, they're going to shoot prequal and then shoot qual the very next day. Um, I would have preferred that, but um, it, it still worked out. That was, that was kind of my only hiccup with the whole thing. Um, but to get 230 Marines through all the competitive stages that we did on during the competition, 
um, to get all the training that we did um, and be able to talk to the shooting team guys and, and uh, see their passion for shooting and teaching and sharing their knowledge. Um, really, really great experience. There are no minimum qualifications to go to Micmic. Like individual Marines can just go as long as their unit is okay with it. Um, you don't have to be, you know, a third award rifle expert or anything like that. So I would highly encourage any Marines uh, to watch out for the, the MAR admins each year and, and get involved uh, in their Micmic when it comes around. Um, and, and if nobody from your unit is talking about it, try to talk to them about it so you can get a team together. But if not, just go as an individual and get some good training you'll come back with a rifle call just like when somebody else goes to the range uh, and they miss a week of work. So it's, it's not a huge drag on your unit and you come back much more proficient. And, you know, if you shoot well enough, you can go back with some bling like a gold, silver, or bronze medal. Yeah. And if you Which, get invited to championships, then you do have to miss work and you have to go back on your word where you told your boss, like, Oh, it's, you know, I'm not going to miss a whole lot of work, but that's a good reason to miss work. Cause it's a cool opportunity to go shoot. Uh, the, the championship. And if you do well enough at championships, you may find yourself on the team permanently. Exactly. Which, uh, Frank, I do want to congratulate you on your second place finish on pistol. That That's an amazing accomplishment out of that many shooters. So kudos to you. Good job. He was flying out there. <laughs> With the torn yeah. Achilles. Yeah, I uh, wasn't sure if I'd be back in time. Um, glad it held up, and I'm happy to be shooting stages near my full capacity again. I miss the sport. And uh, Jared, you're PCSing pretty soon, aren't you? Yeah, so uh, my AMC flights just got locked on today, so uh, I fly out July 12th or 11th, sorry. So uh, how are you going to keep up with your training, and what are you – going to do to you know so whenever you actually do come back you could start up you know near enough prepared for another competition yeah so i've been thinking about that uh quite a bit since i got my orders like a month or two ago um so there there's no civilian competition uh, in oki um japan does not have the same gun laws we have mm -hmm. um is what it is fortunately i'll be on a marine base with a lot of marines so i don't know what my workload's going to look like um, I would like to do, you know, unit training events where we can go out and, and do these kind of things and bring out shot timers and, and, uh, and train with the same kind of feedback uh, that, that we've been doing. Um, even running competitions within the unit um, are all things that, that I would be interested in doing. Um, I can't put any solid commitments down because I haven't, I haven't got there and, and seen mm -hmm. what, uh, what everything is like, but um, in an ideal world, like, you know, every, once a quarter, uh, we'd be hosting a, a third Mardiv headquarters battalion, uh, USPSA style competition, um, out there at the range, but I got to go shake hands with some gunners and, and meet some people and, and see if there's appetite for those kind of things before, uh, before getting too far ahead of myself. Um, past that, um, fitness, you know, same, same kind of functional fitness shouldn't be super difficult, um, to stay in the same routine. Uh, when there's not the same kind of goal at the at the end of it, um, it may be a little bit harder to stay on track. But those are the kind of things we have to deal with every day, um, just through the course of life. Um, and you know, just I hadn't thought about it till you mentioned it, um, but uh, I know some guys in in Japan and Korea that train with a lot of airsoft um, and and find a lot of those skills to cross over. Um, and I've I've seen some YouTube videos of airsofters moving into american competitive shooting with real guns and, and being quite competitive uh so maybe maybe that's an option too but we'll see nice and frank you're you're going to be getting orders up here um for school where you're going to be getting your master's program done and then going up to annapolis right yeah so i um originally was going to go to ews they switched my orders to the historian program uh, the Marine Corps will pay for me to get my master's in history. I will be attending Georgetown for the next two years. And then, like Matt said, my payback is at the Naval Academy. Um, good part of all, all that is I'll, I'll be in proximity to the team. I'll be shooting a lot of matches with them, and I, I intend to uh, continue. Once I'm fully healthy, do some more tactical games, continue to do USPSA, and who knows, might try some PRS and some of the other stuff that you guys have out there as well. Nice. 
Well, I do appreciate you guys coming on. And uh, before I let you guys go, is there anything you guys want to leave the listeners with? I, I would just say, you know, if, if you've looked at something from afar and, and found it interesting, um, go out there and try to do it. Um, I, I would imagine most, most of your listeners have already done several competitions. Um, so, you know, maybe branching out to a different type of competition uh, and, and pushing yourself in a new way. Um, you'll learn something else, but biggest thing, get out there, put your gear on, use it, train with it, um, and, and be practical about it. Um, that's all I got. Yeah. Uh, I'll echo what he said. Just try things like try. I always try something once. And that's the reason I, I've done a little bit of three gun. I shot an IDPA match once done USPSA done tactile games. Um, if you are interested in uh, these types of events, specifically the fitness and shooting events, tactile games, they travel all over the country. There is also something called the Griffin Group Rumble that gets run out of Griffin Group, which is in North Carolina. It's a really, really neat. Uh, that's where they do Memorial 3-Gun, right, Matt? It is. It is. Yeah. And it's we're about one of the best. To, we're about to do Battle yeah. for the South down there as well one of the best ranges that you're ever going to shoot on. Like they have 360 bays, they have all kinds of stuff. So uh, Sam Nelson ran the Griffin group rumble out there. It was back in December. I was still injured. So I just kind of coached him through it, but he had a great time and their setup's really neat. And um, there's another competition called the Patriot games. And I think they work in some more like concealed carry scenarios and like first aid stuff. Whereas the tactile games is almost almost more on the fitness spectrum than uh, these other competitions. So there's stuff out there and we've talked about this ad nauseum and other podcasts, but if you're in, if you're in Lejeune, get out, see what's out there, like go into the woods, go to competitions and just go try something new. No, I appreciate it. And for everybody out there, thank you for listening. Leave us a review and we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks.